God's Word with you, I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing to look at this matter of prayer as one of the key behavioral issues in the life of a Christian. We started some time ago a very simple series that lays out for us basic doctrine, basic practice, and ultimately basic virtue. We said first it matters what you believe, and now we're beginning to look at how it matters what you how you behave, and ultimately we will look together at this subject, that it matters who you become. But right now we're looking at how it matters ultimately the way that we behave, the things that we do, and prayer is one of those vital components that marks the life of a Christian. And so we've taken a few weeks just to focus in on it, especially in light of the fact that one of the four pillars that I believe God wants us uh, to see our ministry established upon is a culture of prayer. Jesus was very clear, my house shall be called a house of prayer was the will of the Father. And the desire for us uh, in this place as leadership is that we would become a people of prayer. I want it to get to the place where people say anything about Hardy Street, they will say, those people will pray for you. That's a praying group of folks. I believe in the power of prayer. Do you? I believe that God gives, uh, gave us a great avenue of communication and, and a, a great mysterious thing uh, that prayer is, is an opportunity for us to cooperate with Him and praying for things and watching them happen. And as they happen, we see his glory rise. There's a lot of confusion about the Lord's Prayer and prayer in general. Uh, before we get to our text, I was reminded this week of a great story. Christian comedian Ken Davis tells a story about Mike Ditka when he was the football coach of the Chicago Bears back in the 80s, back in that, that heyday of their uh, run of, of incredible football. And, and there was a player, some of you might remember, some of you don't, but anybody that has the nickname Fridge, you would understand, it's probably a pretty big guy. William Perry was 350 plus pounds, huge player. Mike Ditka, before one of their games, as he was about to give his pep talk, looked at Fridge, William Perry, and he said, Hey, Fridge, when I get finished, I want you to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Well, Fridge started sweating. I mean sweating buckets. Jim McMahon, who was the brash, obnoxious quarterback of that team, bumped one of the other players, John Cassis, and he said, Hey, Cass, I don't think Fridge knows the Lord's Prayer. And he said, Surely he does. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. He's just nervous. And Fridge is over there wringing his hands and worried and sweating. And they're looking back and forth. And McMahon says to John Cassis, I'll bet you 50 bucks he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Well, Ditka gives his full speech. He's just giving them everything he's got, trying to motivate them and encourage them to go out and win the football game. And he finishes and he goes, Okay, Fridge, bow our heads. Men, take your hats off. A moment of absolute, long, pregnant pause silence. William, the refrigerator Perry, starts in to speak. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Cassus, who has his head bowed, is tapped on the shoulder. And he looks up and it's Jim McMahon with a $50 bill in his hand said, You win. I never knew that he would know it. <laughs> there really is a lot of confusion about the Lord's Prayer. And this matter of prayer. 
Some of us have prayed for things and they didn't happen. Some of us have prayed for things that we wanted to happen and we've been frustrated with prayer. Some of us have a long-standing history of answered prayers and we have greater confidence in it. But this morning, I want us to look at one of the areas that really perhaps brings a lot of the confusion to bear. And it's in our text in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And I'm going to ask you again, if you don't mind, let's stand together in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version of Scripture. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room and shut your door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven... Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would draw our hearts close to your heart, that we would hear from your spirit, that you would illuminate the words of this text and that you would bring to light all that you desire for us to know and to receive this morning. And I pray that for the good of this body and for the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. There's one particular place that I want us to focus on this morning. It's in verses 9 and 10. And as we look at these, I want to remind you of our statement of affirmation. Our statement of affirmation is very simple. We have said for the last several weeks, I pray to God to know Him, to lay my request before Him, and to find direction for my daily life. Let me say that again. I pray to God to know Him, to lay my request before Him, and to find direction for my daily life. So prayer is this intimate interaction so that we have an opportunity to learn from God. Last week we talked about how vital it is that we pray in the Spirit, that we live our lives connected to the Spirit of God, and that we pray without ceasing, and that is only possible by the work of the Spirit of God. Much of the confusion, though, centers around these words of Jesus where He said, Your kingdom come and your will be done. In fact, if you follow this logic with me, it's interesting that we have missed such a great component of our Christian faith. There are over 100 references in the New Testament to one subject that Jesus mentions here, the kingdom of God. In 16 different books of the New Testament, over half the New Testament, the kingdom of God is referenced. So here's what I'd like for you to do. I'm going to give you 10, 15 seconds. Turn to your neighbor and explain to them what the kingdom of God is. Go. Not everybody at one time. (laughs) Sheer panic in many eyes. Some of you are glazed over and say, I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking straight ahead. I can outlast this 10 seconds. I'll make it. What is the kingdom of God? 
Think about this with me. In one place in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, seek what? First, the kingdom of God. If Jesus himself said above everything else you do, first and foremost, seek the kingdom of God, you and I better learn what it is. You and I better learn to live in, as an expression of kingdom people because Jesus said, seek it first. Right, choir? That's right. I like my choir. Man, I tell you. The kingdom of God, very significant for us to think about. Why is it so confusing? For two or three reasons. One, we don't use the word kingdom very much. We live in, in a republic, not a kingdom. And so when we think about it, the rare times that we do use it, we think of a place, the kingdom of Nepal the United Kingdom of England, the, the magical kingdom of Orlando. We think about those kingdoms. But we think of a specific place. No, in Jesus' day, the word that we have here that translates for us kingdom very simply means or emphasizes rule or reign. So let me give you a word. The kingdom of God is the range of His rule. The kingdom of God is the range, the expanse, the distance of the rule of God. That means that not everybody in the world right now is a part of the kingdom of God because they are not under that rule in a submitted sense. They're not, they don't belong to His kingdom. They're under His rule. One day we know that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will become the King of kings over all, undisputed. Every other kingdom will melt away and He will be once and forever the King. But right now, amen. But right now, today, we know that there are other kingdoms vying for power. There are political kingdoms and economic kingdoms. There are spiritual kingdoms set up against His kingdom. In fact, we know that there are really two major kingdoms that operate. The kingdom of light of our Savior and the kingdom of darkness. And Satan in his kingdom hates Jesus and all of his kingdom and all that it stands for. But the kingdom of God is very simply the range of His rule. It is the expanse of His governance. I'll never forget after 9-11 happened, uh, a, a very uh, not well-intentioned reporter asked Ann Graham Lotz, where was God on 9-11? And she very clearly painted a picture of the protective umbrella of God. She said He was right in the midst of all of it. However, how can we ask for God's continued protection when we continually and systematically ask Him to be removed from schools, ask Him to be removed from public offices, ask Him to be removed from our culture and from our government in any place and every place we possibly can. We have tried to legislate God out of the equation. How in the world can we say, oh God, bless us when we thumb our nose at God? And so when we think about the kingdom of God, especially in light of Jesus saying pray that his kingdom would come, it begins to make a little more sense. I want you to think with me. I put something in your notes. I want you to just dream through this statement. We could, we could just pause here for a while, but imagine everything that God desires to happen, happening. The time, the place, and reality when all that he desires is all that we experience. That is the kingdom of God. One day that will happen fully. That day is not yet. It could be today. 
we are closer than we've ever been to the consummation of the kingdom of God. But I want you to see this. You see, part of the confusion is we, we think of an actual place. And it's not necessarily a geographic location. The kingdom of God is all around the world. Even today as believers gather, some in clandestine places for the fear of persecution, they gather and they worship, they are part of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is big and bustling and active and alive. 25,000 or so believers, brand new believers in South Asia every single day for the last several years coming to Christ in unprecedented numbers. The kingdom of God is alive and active and moving. We are a part of the kingdom today in as much as we are submitted to his rule and we are under that umbrella. But imagine everything that God would long to have happen or want to have happen and one day it will. Jesus said to us though, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done. You see the reality is that what we have to understand today, and hopefully this will help some of you, because there are many people who scoff at the matter of prayer because of evil. Here's what I want you to understand. The kingdom of God is now, but not yet. The kingdom of God is now, but not yet. Jesus came in his very first sermon in Mark chapter 1, and as well as in Matthew, it's, it's recorded for us, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Jesus was saying that the range of God's rule has now come to earth to dwell with men. Jesus established the kingdom in his first coming. All of a sudden he began to invite people in. You and me are invited in. And I want us to see that. I don't want us to lose that. No longer is God far away. It's not just in some other place. Which is it? Is the kingdom of God already here? Or is the kingdom of God something we're longing for? How many of you would say the kingdom of God is already here? Raise your hand. How many of you would say the kingdom of God is something that we long for to happen in the future? The answer is yes. It's both. The kingdom is now but not yet. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is near. If this helps you with the picture, Jesus' first coming established God's kingdom on earth and Jesus' second coming will ultimately consummate that kingdom. His death and resurrection established for you and me an opportunity to join into his kingdom as loyal subjects. What a, what a powerful thing. So God's reign on earth was established, and yet you say, well, I still have trouble. There's still cancer. There's still decay. There's still sickness. One day, only then, will God's kingdom fully be expressed in his reign and rule. Only then will there be an ultimate sense of accountability bringing everything to justice. Have you ever found yourself frustrated? You see somebody that gets away with something, it seems, in this earth. They've worked a loophole around the justice system and you say, that's not right. They ought to pay for that. I, I want you to know they will. God is a God of ultimate, complete justice. I, I'm just thankful that there's grace involved as well. Are you not? Amen. I'm thankful that God is a God of grace because if God was only a God of justice, then I would have breathed my last and died and gone to hell. The reality is Jesus, in, in this place of saying, pray that God's will would be done and his kingdom would come, I, I would want you to see that it's in the midst of this beautiful tension. What he's saying is you need to surrender yourself more fully to the kingdom of God today. Let me follow this line of thinking just a little bit more, and, and I hope this will begin to make sense for you. Timothy Peck, who is a, a seminary professor, wrote of this tension. 
through Jesus our sins are already forgiven, yet because of the not yet, we still struggle with the power of sin in our lives. Through Jesus our salvation is already guaranteed and we're promised complete healing and restoration when He comes again. But because of the not yet, our bodies still get sick and we still struggle with fears and doubts. Does that make sense? All of a sudden it helps us to understand that God has established His kingdom and He's waiting for you and for me to surrender ourselves and in cooperation with Him usher in the consummation of His kingdom. There's coming a day that the last person will hear and trust Jesus. That last person, we don't know who that is or where that is. And I want to share the gospel daily so that this might be the day. I don't know about you, but I long for Jesus to come back. Some of us have been so lulled to sleep by the attractions of this world that we lose. Oh, I, I want to see so many things in my lifetime before Jesus comes back. I don't want to see anything else till he comes back. I want to see some people saved. That ought to be our greatest burden. Some of you would say, well, oh, I don't want to miss the, the marriage of my grandchildren. I don't want to miss this or that or the other. Listen, when Jesus comes back, you won't miss a thing. The return of Jesus will be the greatest event in the history of all that we have understood or known as humans, second only to the cross and the redemptive point of history that marked all of time and space. And Jesus said, pray this way. Pray that your kingdom will come and your will will be done. Now, let me help you understand this. What is the kingdom of God and his will? What is that, uh, the correlation? I heard Max Lucado say it this way. The kingdom of God is like the big picture. And it's like looking through a telescope, looking out at the galaxies. God's saving reign over all of his creation. The entire universe from the perspective of Christ's work. And the will of God is like looking at the exact same thing except through a microscope. Looking at his specific reign in your life or in my life or in a specific circumstance. So what we're praying for when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done is this. Lord, in a big picture way, in this world of trouble, in this world of political chaos that we're in right now, may your will be done. May your kingdom rule be seen in all of it. But in my life personally, Lord, I want to surrender to you in completeness. Everything that I have, Lord, I want you to own. Rightly, you've bought me with a price. And I want you to express your life through my life. Now, as we think about that idea of praying for it, Andrew Murray said it this way, The children of the Father are here in the enemy's territory, where the kingdom, which is not just in heaven, it's all around. It's not been fully manifested. What is more natural then that we would pray and long and learn to hallow his name and then cry out with deep enthusiasm, may your kingdom come. You see, the best illustration I can give you before we move on, I want you to grasp this, this now but not yet, here and near concept has got to be laid down in our hearts. Otherwise, we will find ourselves discouraged and ultimately defeated by the enemy. We are sort of like the people in the French resistance between D-Day and V-Day. The, the, the beach has been stormed. The troops have come in. And we've not seen ultimate victory proclaimed yet, but we know it's coming. Amen? 
I, I just long for that. We're fighting not for victory, but from it. Jesus already won the battle. All we are to do is behind enemy lines, occupy until he comes. That ought to make somebody in here want to shout. I, I don't know about you. Maybe you've learned this or you're learning this about your pastor. I have Bapticostal tendencies. I just get excited about some things. I'll keep both feet on the ground. I may pick one up every once in a while, but I'm pretty stable. But I, I just get excited about all the Lord has done in our world and the kingdom of God that Jesus came proclaiming in his model prayer said to you and me, pray that that would come. Pray that his will would be done right here on earth. Everything that God would ultimately want to happen would happen in my life. This isn't just some pious prayer, uh, longful uh, thinking, wishful thinking, and longful uh, focus on what could be or should be. No, this is saying, Lord, today in me, let your will be done. Let me give you three very simple thoughts today. I, I think that kingdom praying marks three attitudes. Number one, we desire for your will to be first. We're simply saying this, God, I want to... What you want, not what I want. God, I long for your will, your design, your plan, your purpose, your agenda, not Scott's. I'm praying today that my thoughts and my words and my actions, all of my deeds would reflect your will. I desire that your will be first. Think about this, Max Lucado again said it this way, we typically say our prayers as casually as we order a burger at a drive-thru. We come through life saying, I'll have one solved problem, two blessings, cut the hassles please. As we drive up to make Jesus, we say, I want the merciful, loving God, hold the judgment and condemnation. But that's not how we begin talking to the God of the universe, the one true God, our Abba, Father, whose name we have just hallowed. We don't say, God, your name is great, now gimme, gimme, gimme. But often we do, don't we? Often we don't pray as Jesus told us to pray. Jesus said, pause and reflect on Abba Father, whose name is to be hallowed. And flowing from that, we find ourselves submitted to that God saying, your will be done in my life. Your kingdom come in my world. Does that make sense? I, I hope that it does. I, I find myself longing for that kingdom, and yet Jesus said it's available now. And it's available through this avenue of prayer. My desire is that your will be first. Of course we should bring our petitions. We don't not pray. Jesus said that, and we'll get to that place. Meaningful, effective prayer includes petitions, but it always begins with a commitment to do God's will. Very significant. Lord, take the throne of my heart. Take the throne of this land. Take the throne of our nation. Lord, be the Lord of my family. Lord, be the Lord of my fears. Lord, be the Lord of my doubts. God, everything that I have, you oversee. I long for you. I'm embracing your kingdom this day. And in every aspect of my day-to-day -day life, I long for you to be in control. So, Lord, it's yours. My life is not my own. I belong to the one who bought me. 
Here's the thing. We must learn to pray this way because meaningful, life-changing prayer is couched in this principle that God is God and we are not. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will is first. The second thing I want you to see that this leads us to pray is this. Not only do we desire His will to be first, but we declare that His will is best. When we say, Your kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, we want Your will to be preeminent. When we say, Your will be done, we're declaring, Your way is better than our way. Not just, uh, that's our desire, but this is right. I've made a mess of so many things in my life, but we need to come to the place where when we pray, we say, God, I trust every answer that you will give. I dare you to pray that way. I find myself lacking in prayer sometimes because I I don't know if I trust God's prayers. His answers, rather. I I don't know if my prayers really, His answers to to what I want are not going to line up, and I don't like where He's going to take this thing. But you can't say, I desire your will first if you don't come to the ultimate place of saying, I declare that your will is best. Best for my marriage, best for my kids, best for my grandkids, best for my job, best for our nation. His will. What would it look like if God's will was done in your marriage completely? What would it look like if God's will was done in the United States of America completely? I dream of those days at times. I think about it. The Bible gives us some clear pictures. His kingdom will come. Think about this with me. Let me give you just a couple of quick Bible pictures. The book of Amos. Amos said the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter. One day by the treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. There was a picture of such abundance and joy as we understand. Wine is always a a picture of joy and this flowing in this desert land the people understood. There's coming a day of great gladness. In the book of Isaiah, a wonderful picture, it says this. Isaiah tells us that when God comes, he will judge between the nations and settle disputes between people. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And there will not be a nation taking up sword against another nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Swords and guns are obsolete because they beat them into plowshares and there's no more enemies. I like that thought. How many of you find yourself in this day and age living in fear? Fear of terrorism? Fear of the enemy? There's coming a day where there will be no enemies. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. A little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The Bible says the infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into a viper's nest. Again, Lord, you sure? They will neither harm them or destroy them. My holy mountain for the Lord will be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I'm so amazed at that very thought that there will come a day that there's no more division between races or spouses. There's no more division on this fallen earth between brothers or nations. Peace will come. No sickness, no sadness, no death, no dying. I just think about this. The saints will win every Super Bowl and the cat will be no more. Oh wait, I crossed the line there, didn't I? 
I know I'm going to get letters, but there's a cat lover in here somewhere that's going to send your letters to Diane in the office, not to me, okay? There's coming a day that all that is wrong will be made right. There's coming a day that all justice will be served because God, our great judge, will judge. I was mindful this week in the passing of Judge Scalia that, that truth is viewed from different angles, but truth is still truth. And in our nation, we've come to the place where we're so blinded to the reality of truth that we seek what we desire. And the Bible says very clearly, there's a way that seems right unto a man, and the end of that way is death. His way leads to life. So I just simply say, I long for His way to come. Why? Because I want His will to be first. I declare that His will is best. And we delight that His kingdom will come at last. I leave you with two or three simple questions at the bottom of your listening guide. But don't turn there yet. Just turn your hearts this direction. If you are in this time period of now but not yet, Jesus has initiated the kingdom but not consummated it. One of the reasons that he did not come in full force and wipe out all sinfulness immediately is because of his grace. He's giving you opportunity to be saved. There is coming a great and terrible day of judgment that will initiate ultimate consummation of the kingdom where all the other kingdoms are folded into the kingdoms of Christ. And on that day, the only plea that we will have is the blood of Jesus. That we have been saved, that we have trusted Him, that we've placed our faith in the death that He died. The payment that He made on behalf of our sinfulness. If you've never been saved, today could be the day. This may very well be the day of your appointed homecoming. That God longs for you to get up from where you are in a moment during this time of decision. We'll have a very simple time of invitation is what we call it. And we sing a song and in singing that song, we give you opportunity to rise and respond. Respond in your heart. Yes, you can do it right there. But God said he doesn't call people privately. He calls us publicly. And he said, if you're ashamed of me, my father in heaven will be ashamed of you. Or I'll be ashamed of you before my father in heaven. Jesus works. You say, well, it's a personal matter. You're right, it's personal, but it's never, ever designed to be private. We're supposed to go and tell. So this morning, if you need to be saved, come down. And we would love to take God's word and just share with you. We won't embarrass you in any way. We would simply love to share with you how you can be saved. Maybe today you feel a longing and a desire to join with this church. We would love for you to unite with us and link arms with us as we try to be salt and light, as we pray. Kingdom people praying, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in our own lives just like it is in heaven. Now, those last two or three questions, very simple. What would your prayers look like if you began to pray for those things to happen in those areas? What would it look like for you to ask God for the kingdom of God to break into your life tomorrow or Thursday afternoon? What would it look like and what would you pray? What are some specific ways for you to pray for God's kingdom to be unleashed and realized in power in the life of this church? What are some specific prayers that you and I could begin praying and say, Lord, we long for your kingdom to come to Hattiesburg, Mississippi.
into the pine belt. And we want to be instruments of that kingdom expansion. We get to be a part of that, folks. I don't want you to feel beat up in something like this. The amazing thought that Jesus would give you and me the, the responsibility and the privilege to pray that kind of prayer. You know what happens? Every day becomes an everyday adventure. Lord, I've got things out on my calendar to do today, but I want your will, not mine. And so when he interrupts your day with an unexpected conversation or with some unexpected frustration, you just stop and you say, Lord, this is a chance for your will to be done. But you've got to be ready. You've got to be prayerful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning. I pray, God, that you have spoken to hearts, and I pray that you will continue to speak to hearts. And God, I pray this morning that if there is one who is lost, they would recognize the great privilege of time that we have right now. We don't have the promise of another second, another heartbeat. It's a gift. And God, I pray that they would come today to be saved. Lord, there is coming a day of terrible judgment. We know that you, as a wrath-filled, righteous God, will judge all unrighteousness. And you will establish your perfect kingdom of love and peace forever. I pray that not one person in the sound of my voice, in the hearing of my voice, would miss the opportunity to join that kingdom today. To submit themselves to the reins of your rule for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand together and sing a hymn of invitation. Members of the staff will be here to meet you. Let's stand now. If you need to be saved, you come.